Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to get together and listen to Mike, discuss your word and learn about it with him and from him. Thank you for passages in the Bible that talk about the importance of place and where we come from. I pray that this is something that we won't just listen about tonight or today, but take with us throughout the week and think about our community and where we are and how you have made us to fit into the space that we occupy. I pray that we will remember where we come from and that we will understand ourselves and those around us and how to care for those around us better, knowing how you see us and what your intent was when you created us. Amen. Our reading today is from Genesis 2, 4 through 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field, but for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, 
and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of words from our sponsor, as it were. Um, this is part one of a two-part sermon, so I'm not going to try to deal with everything in that passage we just heard this morning. Second announcement, Sylvia, our faithful servant, has copies of the manuscript. If you would like to have one to follow along with now, in case, say, English isn't your first language or you want to read it later, Sylvia should have enough copies to go around for the people that, wants them, that want them. A little discombobulated this morning. I usually wear a tie and I forgot to put on my tie this morning. I feel a little naked and ashamed. <laughs> um, but that's okay. And I feel like maybe I should be preaching on Genesis 6 and 7 this morning, the story of the flood. But the, my weather app says tomorrow's going to be sunny. So I have, I'm going to stick with Genesis 2. Dear friends of Jesus, I would like to tell you about Maurice. Maurice is a rooster. He lives on the French island in the Atlantic Ocean, an island called Oléron. And there he does what male chickens have done for the thousands of years since Gallus Gallus Domesticus Linnaeus was first domesticated. He struts and postures in front of the hens and flaps his wings. And every morning before the sun comes up, he gives his own loud version of Psalm 57, verse 8. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Of course, Maurice speaks chicken, so it sounds a little bit more like cock-a-doodle-doo, or as French roosters say, Maurice recently got some new neighbors, Jean-Louis and Joël Biron. These new neighbors did not resonate with Maurice's song of praise to God. Maybe he was singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, whatever he was singing. To them, it sounded like an abnormal racket, and they claimed it was interfering with their health. And they filed a lawsuit against Maurice's human, Corinne Fesseau, with the local magistrate. Maurice was accused of high crimes and misdemeanors, and this jeune coq français was at risk of becoming coq au vin. <laughs> Fortunately, the local court was wise enough to send an officer to spend a few nights in Maurice's domain. And at the end, the court decided that Maurice's song was not, in fact, an abnormal racket, but a perfectly normal sound for a rooster to make in the morning. The court ruled in favor of the defendant and his human, and also decided to fine Madame and Monsieur Biron a thousand euros for the trouble. So there is still justice in the world. The story got my attention. Because it seems so emblematic of our broken and almost tortured relationship with the creation. We have lost our connection to the creation, to the natural rhythms of days and seasons. We think our food comes from metal cans and polyethylene bags. And despite the geopolitical and environmental consequences, which are vast, we continue to move through creation 
over great distances, enclosed in vehicles made of metal and plastic and glass, consuming refined petroleum, releasing pollution into the air. We want to have light after the sun goes down, and we want to stay up longer and sleep in later and do everything we want to do whenever it suits us. We want to be in control. We don't just want dominion. We want domination. Why shouldn't we expect roosters to crow only at times we find convenient? Next, what we need is a weather app that actually controls the weather. And after that, perhaps the better app that configures all creation to our personal preferences. I know that's fantasy. I hope it will never happen because it won't be good for us. But that's how our human arrogance pushes us to dream and aspire. I would humbly suggest that it's not Maurice who is making Jean-Louis and Joël Biron sick. Rather, it's our broken relationship with creation that's making all of us sick and that's ruining the health and beauty of the creation itself. Something is deeply wrong with this picture. We strain against the boundaries of the created order. We struggle to break free from our own nature as creatures, we completely misunderstand our relationship to the rest of creation and to our blessed creator. We think creation is ours to exploit. In fact, that's why God gave it to us. It's a resource, a vast pool of resources for us to dip into and use as we see fit. And to my unending amazement, a large number of Christians actually seem to think that way. If we only had Genesis chapter 1, it might, might even be possible to justify that way of thinking. According to Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, then God populated the heavens and the earth with various living creatures, and finally God created humanity as the pinnacle of creation, and the language of Genesis 1 is beautiful and powerful. So God created humankind the Hebrew word is Adam, in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is the word of the Lord, and these words are very good. They give us an important understanding of human nature. They establish three important relationships that we live inside of. First, a relationship with God. We are created by God, created in God's image, created for the purposes that God had in mind in creating us. Second, we're created for a relationship with each other. We were created male and female. That relationship has a generative power that produces and images God's own power as the creator and the giver of life. It produces more human beings for us to be in relationship with. And third, we're in a relationship with the rest of creation. We have the power to shape and to rule creation. I don't know if you remember what Jim preached on, I think, was it just last week, where he said that the word is like the word for a potter forming a pot. That's, that's the kind of dominion we're called to exercise. And once again, that image is God's own creative power, God's own dominion over everything. 
But here's an interesting thing about the book of Genesis, though, and I'm sure you've noticed it, but I just want to focus on it. Genesis actually gives us two creation stories, which are sort of mirror images of each other. They're not meant to correct each other or contradict each other. They're, they're meant to be put side by side and to resonate with each other. They tell the same story, they explain the same relationships, but they do it from different perspectives. And one without the other is not complete. I'd put it like this. Genesis 1 more or less answers the question, what? It tells us what we are as human beings, what our fundamental relationships are. Genesis 2 tells us the why and the how. Why did God create us and how are we supposed to bear God's image. That's what Genesis 2 is all about. Genesis 2 deals with the same three relationships that Genesis 1 deals with. But let's look at the things that Genesis 2 emphasizes in the way it tells the story. Genesis 2 starts with the relationship between humanity and the earth, the ground, the soil that sustains life on the earth. Here's what it says. I'll just read you the text from verses 4 and 5. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, I'm going to stop mid-sentence right in the middle of this explanatory note because I want to focus on one small but significant part of that verse and of this story. There was no one to till the ground. That's an important little clause. Let me dig a little deeper into this fertile text for a moment. First of all, if we translate this just a little less freely, a little more literally, it says there was no man, no human, no Adam to till the ground. The Hebrew word for a human being is Adam, as I said, and the Hebrew word for ground is Adama. And the relationship between the two is a very clear and distinct in this passage. And the word that's translated as till, as in till the ground, is the word abad, which can either mean worship or serve in Hebrew. I'm going to stick with serve because I think it's more appropriate in this context. But when you, when you put all of this together... When you read the text a little bit more deeply and a little more slowly and don't let it just go by you as part of that parenthetical note, you see an interesting picture, and it's a picture of incompleteness. It's problematizing something. There's something missing in this creation. There's an Adam-ah without an Adam. There's no man to work the ground. There's no Adam, to serve the Adama. We usually think of creation before the fall as kind of a state of primordial perfection. But Genesis 2 tells a somewhat different story. Something wasn't there that needed to be there. God, God made this great thing, but it needed to be tweaked. There was a problem. And then there's an answer to the problem. Then the Lord God formed man, Adam, from the dust of the ground, Adama. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. From God's point of view, problem solved. And once that problem is solved, 
God's plans for creation can go forward. God can continue making the creation what he wants it to be. He plants a garden. He makes trees grow there. The trees grow fruit. He puts the man in the garden to till it once again, avad, serve, and to care for it. The Hebrew word is shamar, which means to care for something or to watch over something or to keep something. And he gives the man, the human being, some further instructions, which I'll come back to. But the point of this story, if I can sort of summarize it, is the relationship between humans, the human being God made, and the ground, the Adam and the Adama, is a mutual serving relationship. They need each other. They depend on each other. The man takes care of the ground, but the ground feeds the man. God has put them in a kind of a symbiotic or collaborative relationship. And things are much better now than it was when there was no Adam to care for the Adama. But it doesn't take very long until another problem arises, an even bigger problem. We can read between the lines and see that it's sort of saying that it was not good for the ground to have no man to work it and serve it and care for it. But we don't have to read between the lines at all to understand this new problem because God speaks it out loud. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And when you read chapter 2 against the background of chapter 1, this is very striking because chapter 1 has this sort of refrain and God saw that it was good and it was good. And it was good. And after humanity is created on the sixth day, the climax, and behold, it was very good. And now this, it is not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. And in response to this problem, God creates a woman. Now, I'm going to devote pretty much the whole sermon next week to the relationship between the man and the woman the image of God embodied in maleness and femaleness, male and female humanity. But for now, let me just point out that a kind of parallel is formed in this chapter. The relationship between the specifically male human, an ish, a man, and the female human, isha, parallels the relationship between humanity, Adam, and the earth, Adama. The man is formed from the ground and they serve and depend on one another, Adam and Adama. The woman, Isha, is formed from the man, Ish, and they serve and depend on one another. These relationships of serving and caring mutually are not incidental. They're integral. They're the fabric, the warp and the woof of shalom and God's creation. Without that interdependence, the fabric unravels. And we don't have to read too far into the story to know that something goes terribly wrong in the relationships between Adam and Adama, and between Ish and Isha. And Jim's going to cover that two weeks from today when we get into chapter 3, and he tells the story of the fall, and I hope I'm not taking too much away from that. It's a story that's worth repeating anyway. But let me just point out something in chapter 2 that I think not only sheds some light on what went wrong, but also points out and sheds light on something that is necessary for things to go right with human beings. Those first two relationships are relationships of interdependence. 
The human depends on the ground. The ground depends on the human. Man is made for the woman, and the woman is made for the man. They're for each other. But the third relationship that human beings live in, our relationship with God, is a relationship of total dependence. Human beings completely depend on God, and especially on God's knowledge of the creation. As soon as we try to become independent and rely on our own knowledge and our own judgment about the creation, our lives are in danger. God knows that, and God wants to protect his human creation from that danger. Listen to what God says in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. There's obviously more to this than the literal fruit and even the literal act of eating. The real problem is the exercise of human thought and human desire and human will that resists and even defies God's thought, rejects God's wisdom, departs from God's desire, thwarts God's will. And that's not just inherently evil and sinful. It's harmful to all the relationships that we live within. Our relation to the creation, our relation to one another, and even our relation to ourselves. The text doesn't come right out and say it this way, but it's not good for the man to try to be wiser than God. It's not good for us to use our own judgments. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 actually contain the first commandment that God gives, the first mitzvah, the first expression of Torah, God's life-giving word. It's not just about what we eat. It's also about knowledge and the kind of knowledge that sustains us and the kind of knowledge that kills us. This is a matter of life and death because humanity does not live by fruit alone, by bread alone, or anything else alone. We live by everything that comes from the mouth of God. And God's law is not just a prescriptive thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's a descriptive instruction about what actually works and what doesn't work in the created order. If you do this, you will die. Not just because I said so, but because it's true, but because this is what will happen. And when I think about what has gone wrong in our relationship, our relationships with creation, our relationships with one another, even our relationships with ourselves, I see the roots of it right here in this probationary and preventative warning in Genesis 2. We forget that we are in a relationship of responsibility to the creation and to one another. And the answer to Cain's arrogant question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I the shomer of my brother? Is yes. It is our responsibility to keep and watch over one another. It is our responsibility to serve and watch over God's creation. It is our responsibility to serve and watch over God's image in us. Now, I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm just going to stop right here because we have a congregational meeting today and it's 11 o'clock and I have another chance to come back to this next week. And I think that's not a bad place to stop, to ask ourselves the question, how are we to watch over 
the creation? How are we to watch over and keep our relationship with one another and with ourselves? How are we to be, some people don't like this word because it's so trendy, but how are we supposed to be the curators of God's image in us? How are we supposed to care for this responsibility to be like God in God's creation and to be what God wants us to be? I'm just going to borrow a saying from the New Testament to end because this is all about what produces shalom and what doesn't. And it's all about our identity and our calling as God's redeemed children. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers in Greek is such a beautiful word. Erenopoioi, the, the, the poets of shalom, the creators of of wholeness and health in God's creation. Blessed are those whose thinking and doing and speaking brings shalom in God's creation because those are the ones that God will acknowledge as God's own children. So let's be inspired by that. Let's be shalom creators. Let's live in the right kind of relationship with creation, with each other, with our own selves in a responsive, trusting, obedient relationship with the God who gives and watches over our lives. Would you? Amen. Thank you for saying that. Everybody who believes it can say it. Amen. Let me pray. Pray with me. Lord, we're all broken, but our hope is that you are restoring us into the image of true humanity, your son Jesus. By his life, death, and resurrection, we have the hope of being your children, and the calling of being partners with you, not just in the saving of our souls, but in the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of all creation. That is your power and your glory. You are not only God the creator, but you are God the redeemer. And we thank you for that and ask you for the grace to live into your purposes for us. We pray it in the name of your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's all say... Amen.